Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio with Dr. Michael Berg. We are going to be recording another session in our 110 Intro to Theology uh, course uh, series that we've been doing on the Large Catechism. And keep in mind, students, it's expected you're reading the Large Catechism. We are not going to just reread or regurgitate the Large Catechism. But these are the kind of step back, big picture, um, overarching discussions of the topics themselves. And so we are moving on to the sacraments, and we are going to take first there, Holy Baptism, the sacrament of Holy Baptism, uh, which is instituted by our Lord um, so that it's not just plain water, but water at God's command used and connected with God's word. Uh, Water that we believe in the Lutheran Church does something that works forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this. It is water that can do such great things because God's word is joined to it. It is God's word that gives it its power. And so baptism is in many ways, and Mike, you can correct me later if you want, but a sermon. It is a proclamation uh, that is connected with the water. Um, And that baptism is not something we leave in our past, Uh, It is something that is with us always through faith. And so if someone says, I was baptized, I'm guessing Dr. Berg also corrects them like I do and says, no, you are baptized. Uh, Romans 6 is a great baptismal chapter to read. Uh, Luther quotes it even in the small catechism uh, that our baptism is our our daily drowning uh, through contrition and repentance. Can I interrupt with a question right now? Yes. being brought up in the Lutheran Church, it was probably not until I started to become kind of a theologian on my own, like, you know, college and seminary, that I looked to Romans 6 for for the essentials of baptism. When you grew up, I mean, you're learning about baptism in the Roman Catholic Church. Did they go to Romans 6? It was used. I would say it was used more for the newness of life. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, Luther draws out this daily... Uh, this daily aspect of baptism uh, from Romans 6. Um, but it, I would say it, it was used somewhat. Although, I mean, most you have, we, we never had sections where we just sat down and did Bible study per se. Um, stories from the Bible were usually uh, put in the curricula that we used. But sure. I, would, I, I, would, I do think it came up. Um, and so that's kind of an overview of the key points we'll be talking about with baptism. Uh, but maybe I thought, Mike, it might be helpful if first we can start off with uh, the Lutheran Church kind of walks a lonely way, if we can steal a, a term from Sasa, when it comes to baptism. Uh, the Anabaptists sort of won out when it came to uh, the view of baptism in much of American Protestantism. That is, that most American Protestants are familiar with believer's baptism, which is a term used meaning you should be baptized when you're old enough to make a confession of faith. Um, and then the other predominant view in America would be the Roman Catholic view of baptism. If you had to pick one view of baptism, Roman Catholic or uh, or the general Ameri- generic non-denominational kind of evangelical Protestant view, what would you pick, Mike? Well, let me let me let me add one more option there besides the Lutheran option. It's covenantal baptism. So you'll see yeah. in the this maybe 
more classical reform, but there's uh, just not a lot of it. I'm yeah. talking population yeah. wise, but yeah. So covenant baptism would baptize babies, mm-hmm. and it's more like kind of the Abrahamic promise sort of Christian connected. reform Presbyterian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can think of like circumcision in the Old Testament. Right. That this is you're a part of the family, and there's going to be promises that are a part of this family. They still don't believe it's an actual forgiveness of sins, or that faith is given in that particular particular instance. So. You know, I think with all sacraments, I'd I'd rather, as Luther said, I'd rather have you know, blood with the blood, with just the, the blood in the body with the papist than nothing wine with the sacraments. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's the same way. I mean, the problem with the Roman Catholic view, of course, practically speaking, is that you know, baptism kind of takes away original sin, and now you're it's sort the of the first plank, and the second plank is so the confession. You know, almost you have a clean slate now. Yeah. You got to keep going, and so. Um, uh, you know, and that's why the Lutheran view is so unique, because as you said, it wasn't I was baptized, I am baptized, and uh, it's a daily kind of thing. You don't repeat it. That would be more akin to kind of a Roman Catholic. You know, they don't repeat baptism, but there's other things that 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 you, cover more the sacraments you have. come in to fill the fill yeah. the gap. Yeah, yeah, and and I think just an overall sacramental picture of it's not like I have to go to confession every week or have Holy Communion every week just to cover my last week, you know, and then I have a clean right. slate and start over. Um, this is this is something that's all-encompassing, right? And so I, I kind of like, I don't know if we, we don't do this well enough, maybe in Lutheran churches, to think about it as an adoption, right? Um, that once you're adopted, you have the rights to the family inheritance, and you can run away like a prodigal child, but if you're going to come back and knock on your family's door, it'll always be open to you. Because you have this certificate, <laughs> there's literally a baptismal certificate. It's like a legal document. Um, and of course, we would say, because of the graciousness of God, and we don't believe we don't believe in once saved, always saved. But we get pretty darn close. Yeah. Um, once you're baptized, you know God made a promise, and I'm going to go with God's promise rather than that. You can try to run outrun God. Right. And even you know we come pretty close to it too in that. We would say someone can certainly fall into the faith, fall away from the faith, but when they come back to the faith, we don't rebaptize them. Yep. Their baptism never went away. Their baptism never became invalid because it's not they who make their baptism valid. Their baptism is valid. It's just if one receives it through faith, yeah. right? This is, um, and so we uh, the means of grace never falls short. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like theologically, we have to ask this question: Can somebody fall? For sure, right? I mean, you can think about, you know, in France, you were baptized. It's kind of a legal, I mean, you, right. everybody's baptized. Um, and yet it ha- many atheists live in, in France and even want to go through, sometimes go through a ritual that, like, they're unbaptized, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not like it doesn't happen. But, man, for the struggling Christian, um, the, wayward, the wayward soul, to say to the mother and father who's who's children haven't been in church in a decade to say to them just uh, the story's not over yet god made a promise and they may be trying to outrun god but god's a pretty fast runner i'm gonna bet on him certainly you can reject it certainly you can reject it but but when the prodigal son came back yeah. he didn't have to go down to the courthouse and right refile to be his father's son right so uh that's a, that adoption and that the, the legality of baptism we i mean saint paul talks about that right you're sons of god um, those of you who are baptized, you are heirs. You have legal rights. That was a, a legal, legal claim. That was a legal statement there. 
right? And uh, don't get too bothered that it says sons and not sons and daughters. In fact, we should leave that one sons right? Um, because um, that was the culture of the day. The sons were a part of this family heritage. The, the, the daughters who got married into a different family were a part of that line, right? But to say that all of you sons and daughters are sons was a powerful picture in that time. Quite progressive, I might say. And it's... It's interesting, too, that um, think of even amongst the Romans, like how the emperors and that would operate. A lot of the emperors who come to power were not the uh, biological sons of the mm-hmm. fathers who enabled them to come to power. It was quite often to adopt someone into one's family and so that they would have um, the claims that right a biological son would have had. And and so this is exactly what God is, is doing with us. Um, and here, you know, it's, I suggested, you know, read Romans 6, but also read Romans 8. This adoption and the spirit of sonship uh, is a theme throughout Romans. And uh, can we do one rabbit hole, Mike? Sure. We're going to talk about a doctrine. And it's interesting that Paul ties it to, in Romans, um, the doctrine of election. And then he's going to unpack the doctrine of election in chapter 9 as well. Um, when we think about the doctrine of election, and maybe it's because I've been doing videos on Kelvin, and also doing videos on Romans. Uh, But I think one of the awesome things about the Lutheran doctrine of election, too, is the Lutheran doctrine of election isn't a call to speculation. The Lutheran doctrine of election is consolation. Right? It is God has chosen you. And I challenge someone to read the New Testament scriptures and not realize that point. Some might say, Romans 9, well, Paul says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. But the fact is there, God is speaking of a historical situation, specifically with regard to the birthright. And God loved Jacob, particularly to love Esau, too, mm-hmm. right? The coming of the of the Savior. Um, the, the vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath, well, we see this in history as well. He uses the Babylonians to, uh, you know, punish the uh, the Israelites, but then uses another kingdom to punish the the Babylonians. What is used the Medes and Persians? Medes and the, Persians. Um, that, at that point, and so uh, the doctrine of election is used again and again. You are chosen. You are a a royal priesthood. Uh, again and again in this connection. So uh, baptism is also God's way of saying you. Mm-hmm. I choose you. And that's why it's preaching. Yes, and that is why it is preaching as well. Um, God elects people in all of eternity, but he elects them through, we could say, preaching in the means of grace. That how, That's how one's election is made known to them. And the temptation is always to want to speculate in that. But baptism really is to, to be a comfort for us, to be able to say daily, I am God's own son. I am, when you adopt someone, you choose them, right? Um, I am I'm God's own chosen adopted son or daughter. And so I think there's a comfort in there. Maybe you think I'm off my rocker, Mike. No, but. and I, when we, when you look at, I've said this before, anytime you have like this complicated, this kind of mystery, like I can't quite understand what's going on here, put yourself into the situation that you that God is the father and you are the child who just doesn't have the perspective. And quite frankly, the petulant, uh, uh, the, the teenager who doesn't understand why he can't stay out all night and have have the keys to the car and do whatever he wants just doesn't have the wisdom and the perspective um, that the father does. So when the father says, I knew you for all eternity, this is a father talking to a baby, to a child, 
right? He's not he's not going to sit there and try to explain something that the child cannot understand. He's going to say, stop, be still. Don't you know that I've known you from all eternity? This is not an exact, uh, this doesn't solve the problem. It's not an exact parallel. But you may say to like your uh, a, a, a newborn child, like, I've loved you forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I just had this feeling like I, I, I had this love in me for I my future child. couldn't be me yeah. without you. Yeah, I mean, this is, and, and so it's more akin to that than it is, hey, child, try to figure this out. And, and remember also that God is explaining stuff to people who aren't that bright compared to him. So I, it, this is when it comes to heaven, too. I, um, we want to know all the answers about heaven, you know, is my, my dog going to be there and all that kind of stuff. It's like teaching physics to a toddler. What you do is you say, you're at the top of the stairs. So it's like when, when Carrie comes in and talks to us. To us yeah. And you, you like take a ball and it falls down the stairs. And you're like, oh, look at that little, wow. wow. You don't go, let me talk to you about friction and inertia and gravity, right? It's not going to work. Do you think Carrie does that at home with his kids though? I think so. Actually, he's, you know, he's got them reading or listening to the, I think the Odyssey on on, on nice. tape when they when they go to uh like on long uh car rides he told me today that they've really been in this uh uh coronavirus virus scare he's been really getting them on last nice. getting my kids some have Latin. been reading uh netflix yep mine too i told him this week and next week i'm gonna crack the whip uh, i say that but yeah <clears throat> let's just be honest. next week here. is always a possibility <laughs> let's, be, let, let's be honest so you don't explain to the toddler the uh w- with the you don't explain physics to them. You show them, right? You say something that they need to know right now. And so there's a lot of times God says, this is what I want you to know. This is your limit. And you don't need to ask questions beyond that, right? I mean, it's good for us to speculate, to doubt, to to be skeptical in a certain sense, to test the spirits in a, in a, in a religious Christian way. But there are times when we get we get bumped up to the will of God and to the the sovereignty of God and to the, the bigness of God. We can't go any further. And that's where the concept of him being father and us child is helpful to understand, keep in the back of our mind. And I think in that connection too, Mike, um, I like your how you, you point out how he's explaining stuff for us. I've been thinking lately, I'm trying to find anywhere in the Bible where God calls us to speculate. <laughs> I mean, can you think of anything? <laughs> Even like with Job when he's like, who put the the seas in their place and set their boundaries? Yeah. He's not calling them to speculate. He's he's saying, "Listen, dummy, like you're questioning me." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, with the doc- doctrine of baptism or election, to well, what if I fall away from the faith and then my yeah. baptism? No, baptism is meant to be a concrete thing that we can look to um, and be certain of God's love for us. And when it ceases to be that, well, maybe we have fallen from faith. Um, if it ceases to be that in our view, but it doesn't cease to be that in reality, it's a testimony, um, and so it's a powerful thing. What a we should we should add that when we when we do an episode on theodicy, add that to you know how much is as a um, professor Balgi used to tell us in in Greek and other places, um, sanctified speculation, uh. right? He always was careful to say that. Um, how how far can we be skeptical to God? I mean, I think it's. I think it's valuable for us to ask questions and, and even to speculate a little well, bit. And there's but a difference just, between yeah. contemplating a text yeah. and contemplating things apart from a text. And so I think there, 
you can have this uh, sanctified speculation where where you're wrestling with a text and you're trying to unpack it and you're you're pondering what it means as Mary did, right? I think the problem becomes when you want to leave the text behind as you speculate. Yeah, yeah. So we'll add that to someday we'll do a we'll put it on the board, theodicy and speculation, that kind of thing. Anyway, go ahead. All right, Mike, when you were in the parish, you were doing baptisms. Where did you get this special water from baptism for? Well, I tell you, I had a I had one family um, that had a water bottle from the Jordan that they would use, like a oh. water, water from the Jordan, and then we would have to like get a funnel and put it in there for the next grandkid, and I would kind of make fun of them. The answer is the faucet. Yeah. It, um, well, this is a... Uh, what about the ancients, though? They must have had a special place that's got to get this water. Where would they have got it? You know, like puddles on the ground spit if you had to i mean really you know that's well the that's dirty jordan river yeah the, that's what's a beautiful thing about that and we mentioned this before when you think about the ways god says here i'm going to be they're the staples of the mediterranean really world in the pools yeah, by the way no. but, yeah. but there's mike was joking don't do that some students if you're like, in the desert I'm and a baptized you, if, if, if you're in the desert if you if your wife gives birth in the desert and there's Wouldn't no the water become mud well, you know, just put it on your hand or whatever. Uh, this, this is the kind of speculation that we do in seminary. <laughs> um, there was beer that night, wasn't there? <laughs> um, is there water and beer? We won't go there. All right. So just it's, it's available to everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. It's the, it's the, it was the staples of the Mediterranean world. Why wine? Because they drank wine. Right. Now, that being said... If you have um, water that is available, that is, you know, sanitary, um, I wouldn't, my first choice wouldn't be polluted water yeah. or... It is kind of cool that those babies were baptized with the Jordan. Right. River. I mean, it's cool. I guess. We had a, we had a professor... I got a, I got a different story about that, but I'm not going to tell it. Professor George know. Slander always said, you know, baptize your first with water, water from, from the Rhine. Rhine. <laughs> he was joking, though, yeah. He's our German professor. Uh, the, uh, then, what is... Uh, this is water plus God's word, right? It seems like there should be something magical, something superstitious. Um, I uh, it was interesting the other day uh, before the quarantine stuff. I was going to, I've mentioned I was going to some historical churches and I uh, went to one in Milwaukee. I won't say which one. and uh, But it was a Catholic church and, and they had in the back, you know, the big tub of holy water with the spigot you could yep, get, yep. which... Not a lot of churches have as prominent as this one did. So I'm guessing with the the community that was there, this was pretty common to use. And uh, so I'm go- walking in to go check out this church. Because you go to a, a, a daily mass, it's a good way to get, like, it's a shortened mass. So you get a sense of their service. But you also get, you can walk around and see the church after, yeah. right? <clears throat> so, um, and you're not there for, like, the full mm-hmm. hour Sunday. long. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to be walking around after a Sunday mass. You know how it is in church. People are talking. They're doing mm-hmm. stuff, whatever. But um, he just brought in, like, some huge water bottles. And so I thought he was, like, going into Mass. And so he was – all the doors are locked but one. So then we get in the store together. And he started filling them up. Well, uh, apparently, like, he was putting it on stuff because of the coronavirus, right? Mm. And uh, now I'm not picking on him. I mean, that's consistent with his faith. That's what mm-hmm. he believes. Um, but – uh. What is our view of this this water? When we say it's water plus the word, Mike, what do we mean? What uh, is there? 
where's the certainty in this? What? How do we know it's it's truly uh, a valid baptism with water and the word? It's because of the word of God, right? I mean, that that's finally where the power comes from, and the word of God is backed up by the power of God, right? By God himself. And this is not, we mentioned this before in another episode, they're all running together. Um, I when, counted last night, we've done 20. When God created the heavens and the earth, the, the power was the word, right? I, yeah. So when someone asks you, how did God create the heavens and the earth? Don't say his power, you say with his word. But we also are Sophie told- was in a phase when she was littler, when she would answer everything with her almighty power. <laughs> and it used to really bother me, and I would tell Trish, I'm like, we are raising a Calvinist. Right, like, yeah. We got to do something about this. <laughs> and, uh, but you have the, the spirit hovering over the water, right? And so we have this string of water, spirit, word kind of things throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of stories there. This is God's modus operandi that he would use the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. He but hides when he the got physical. the dirt for Adam, he got special dirt, right? <laughs> well, it was special because it was, you know, he had created it. It hadn't been messed up yet. Uh, but it was yeah. like unlike the other dirt. <laughs> like it was... No, and so you, you see this in sacraments. You see this in the ministry. You see this in vocation. You see this hiding and suffering. This is the pattern of God. And, and notice that this is for you. It's paradoxical that he hides to be revealed, right? So he's, of course he's going to use ordinary water. Of course it's not going to matter. Of course it's not a magical thing. Of course it is, doesn't depend what kind of water it is. It's the power of the word. And I don't think the greater Protestant world understands that as they will sometimes accuse Lutherans of being yeah, pseudo-Catholic. Their critique of us will be yeah. work righteousness because we insist on this baptism but yeah go where you're going ex, with this an ex opera opera to going through the motions now to in their defense that's how a lot of roman catholics in the medieval church thought about it and maybe and still today uh, and there are some lutherans yeah. who almost even talk yeah. that way so you know if, if that was true then we would just take a you know a hose and just uh, hook it up to the holy water and just spray the world talking about yeah. seminary discussions it was always like that one guy who's like is it a valid day the baptism if there's like a 5k outside your house and you spray him with what <laughs> like you're, you're you're being you're being a sophist there yeah. you know you're being you're being you're just also being a seminarian and right. we love our seminarians yeah. i'm you're, just saying you're at some point you go just that, talk about baseball yeah, that's ridiculous don't be an idiot yeah right and 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 that's really what sophists were right trying to trying to use rhetoric to try to uh a question everything and skeptic be skeptical of everything. I can be skeptical of everything. I mean, if you give me enough time, I it's can. It's my undo, natural like yeah. predisposition. Yeah. I can undo anything if you want. I can make some sort of absurd thing, or that, you know. But this is, and, and some of it's category mistakes, right? Like I try to. I'm in this category of. I mean, Mike prompt. was just telling me earlier the coronavirus was the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Prove that it isn't. Yeah, I'm Proof trying. I googled it, it. You know, so that kind of stuff. Uh, um, this follows God's modus operandi, his his mo, his pattern, and it's a gracious pattern. And it quite frankly didn't have to be right. And this is the difference between a deistic God and a God who is available for us. Yeah. It's also he's the in the water. Yeah. Luther's big on that, right? Yeah. He comes into the water. You see the pastor's hand, but you have to see God's hand behind yep. the baptism. So think of masks, right? God's hiding behind masks and all of these things. Um, it's also the difference between a... And by mass, just to be clear in this time of pandemic, 
we mean like an ancient Greek theater. You would wear a mask for a play. We don't mean Halloween mask. Like the, right. you know, Ben and Peter have these coronavirus emojis now. <laughs> have you seen them share yeah, those? That's We're not talking about like the health mask. Right. Yeah. It's also the difference between a Christian who emphasizes. So first article, Christian who emphasizes the sovereignty of God and almost then, therefore, the distance of God. Um, and uh, a gritty, incarnational, sacramental picture of God. And if, and if you really look at the Old Testament, even the Old Testament where, you know, big bad God's up there, you see how, how physical he is, um, how he's going to come down. And when he comes, he hides. Why? Because he has to. Um, he blows us away with his, his, his full power and glory. And so he hides behind these masks precisely to be intimate with us. And what could be, I don't, you know, you could make an argument that Holy Communion is the most intimate. It is communion. It's Christ's body and blood. It's intimate with the church on earth and in heaven. You know what's even more intimate than that, in my point of view? And I, we don't need to it is dying and rising with somebody. Yeah. It is giving somebody new birth and baptism. And I think both of those instances, we would both agree. Those are the things we miss most about the parish. Those were the most Whatever emotional you're playing with under that table. It's, it's coming through the most, the, the most emotional times we had in the parish, um, in, the, in our regular duties was to baptize a baby and to had Christ's body and blood specifically to somebody who had been suffering. Oh. Um, that that kind of intimacy, I don't I don't know if our our members of our church realize what's going through our minds at the, that moment. If they did, um, I think they'd be moved to tears more often than not. Yeah, the um, good stuff. Uh, next question for us, because um, we're kind of expanding a little bit on the questions people might have just from general experiences in life too. Lutherans, uh, you, you see a Lutheran baptism, almost always they're going to see sprinkling. Um, you see some of the older Lutheran fonts, like you go to Europe, these are big old mm -hmm. fonts. Like you could, uh, it's like a kiddie pool almost, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you couldn't dunk an adult in it, but, mm -hmm. um, but they're pretty big. Eastern uh, Orthodox is going to dunk. Yeah, some same. churches, um, most American Protestants are probably familiar with like a, a little baptismal pool. The wall pulls away and... Um, and there's a baptismal pool there, which is, you know, you could swim in almost mm -hmm. and, uh, pretty deep. Uh, what, um, why do we sprinkle Mike? I it, mean, dunking seems more fun. Right. And, and it, it's kind of unfortunate <laughs> because dunking the, the picture of, of the burial and the resurrection probably is, 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 is fuller there. Um, there are Protestants who are going to say you have to dunk because that's, probably what Jesus did in the Jordan uh, when John baptized him. Although the Jordan is a very shallow <laughs> river at most points. So, yeah, we don't, I don't, we don't quite really from the text know exactly how that happened. There are points we maybe right. have to like splash some yeah. water over them. So, but if that's a repetition of something and that is me committing to uh, myself to God, it, it's kind of the, um, it's the Protestant version of the sacrifice of the mass, right? I'm being connected with Jesus yeah. and committing myself like Jesus did to this life. Although ironically, um, it's an insistence upon a certain method for something that they don't actually think is a means of grace. Right. How, but if you, how you put it is good. Yeah, it's if, you committing yourself 
but there's not the the vertical aspect of God right. um, giving you. And if you're going to do this, then I think it does kind of make sense that you would do it since it's your commitment. You would do it the right way. Right. Right. No, that's um, a very good point. Yeah. So I think that's you know the break literally breaking of the bread and holy communion and and dunking in baptism. So we're not concerned with how the water goes. You got me there, Mike. There. I thought yeah. I had a good point, then you made it a good well, point. And uh, so we're not concerned about how that the, the, the water is applied. You know, it's not like the Ethiopian eunuch, like, rolled around in the mud puddle there. Right. Right? So it's kind and of— And it would have been a, a puddle. Right. It would it's have, kind of down on the Gaza Strip, right? Right. It's, that, it's, it's almost ridiculous to think that it's not valid. But I do like the picture of the dunking. But here's something, and this is, you know, again, send me your emails. Make sure you put on your title allegory so I can um, so I can <laughs> delete it right away. Or send them to me if you want me to read them out loud to my... <laughs> there is um, the sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament, right? And, and if blood is what... That's a symbol of being cleansed with the blood of the Lamb of Christ... I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say, actually, there's kind of a precedent here for this symbol of washing um, with sprinkling and then becoming real when Jesus actually uh, makes baptism the actual forgiveness of sins. Like he does everything else in the Old Testament, you know? I mean, all these symbols then become the real deal with Jesus, including these, this washing. And so you can think of the sprinkling of blood. Uh, Moses did that unto the people. Right. And then if you've ever been to Roman Catholic Church where um, I can't pronounce that word, aspersion, no, it's like it's the holy water going down the. uh, Oh, and they go with the sprinkler, the sprinkler. Yeah. But there's there's a as an altar server, we called it the sprinkler. It starts at like like A-E-S-P-E-R, something like that. Anyway, so um, clearly that's not. That was also one of the coolest parts being an altar boy was when. You got to go carry the water when the priest did that. I always thought that was, yeah. you know what the worst part was? The when, incense. Yeah. Because dumping out the incense, it was very hard not to burn your fingers. So you always gave that to like the newbie, like fourth grader. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the sprinkling of water actually, I think, is a beautiful symbol, just as in you walk into a church. The as, aspergillum. Yeah, something like that. A-S-P-E-R-G-I-L-L-U-M. So the verb is aspergillum. Something, but it, as I look at Catholic um, church supply stores, they just say sprinkler. Yeah, not to be uh, misunderstood with Asperger's. That's a completely different thing. Right. Now th- not, me, we're not going to joke no, about that. No, either. we're not. Let me finish my point here. Okay. So both the the sprinkling in the Roman Catholic Church and the the water that you would you know dip your finger into make the sign of the cross as you walk into the church are beautiful, wonderful symbols. If you understand them right, correctly. and I actually think that's something that could be. There's some Lutheran churches that will have water in the font, yeah. and the font's at the front of the church, yeah. and people will dip their fingers into this. It could be a very wonderful baptismal. The problem is, it's so that th- these are. T- I mean, there's kind of a, a continuum of what the, the you pra- end up with people scooping water out of there to take home to right. put on stuff for the, coronavirus. That practices that practices that are quote unquote Roman Catholic easily trans transferred to the to the Lutheran Church and we should not think of them like the sign of the cross. There are other ones that are a little bit more difficult. These are a little bit more difficult. Um, but beautiful pictures. But if you think it's magic, then the problem is not with the symbol. The problem is with your theology, right? right? So I, let me ask you a question. When you were Roman Catholic and they were sprinkling, like, could you tell, like, if someone was an unbeliever, like, you'd go on their no, forehead but, or whatever? But, uh Interestingly enough, Father, we had we had really good priests, and uh, 
um, it was kind of sad the other day. I was reading a story about a priest who was kind of being put on trial, and my mom and I were talking about, you know, now people just, I mean, to be a good priest, it's got to be hard, like, that people just don't trust you in ways that you used to be trusted because of priests who've done things they ought not do. But, like, Father Joe, we used to go over to the rectory, me and all my buddies. We'd have, like, doubles chess tournaments. He taught us doubles chess, which is a fun game. And mm-hmm. I had really good priests. I uh, I can't complain that I that I didn't. And I'll even say, um, preached not bad homilies, right? They were decent preachers. But Father John was, like, legit better at the at the sprinkler thing than Father Joe. <clears throat> so, like, when I was carrying it, like, it just amazed me. Like, Father John could cover, like, the whole pew, mm-hmm. like, all the way all the way down. Think, think, thinking casting a rod, like it's not easy to do that. Like some right. people got that. Yeah. Father Joe would get about halfway, and I was just amazed. Like, and it seemed to be more of a flicking of the wrist thing yeah. than like a. If you tried to do like a wind up, yeah, that's not gonna. I happen. think it almost made it worse. But if Father John just boom, flick that's it, nice. and uh, and he got everybody. Do yourself a favor and Google like, like I don't I don't know what you Google, but like serious incense swinging. Like, there are some guys that just, this oh, is, really? like, talent. Like, I mean, like, they are, like... Well, because you got to hold it a certain way. Right, but they can go, I mean, yeah. they'll go, like, 20 feet. And how do they do that without hitting the floor? I don't know. Right. But it's, like, some serious business. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, all right. So, why do we sprinkle, Mike? It's kind of an unsatisfying answer for why we sprinkle. Because some people said what? You got to dunk. You got to dunk. So we said, screw you, we're not going to dunk. Right. And I'm not saying we should start dunking. Um, I wouldn't mind kind of dunking babies a little bit, though. I mean, that's kind of how it's pictured in the old paintings. And it's not, pra- it's, it, for most people, it's not practical. It's kind of like, why do we have these silly wafers instead of actual bread? Like in the or- Orthodox Church. And I'm not Church. talking submerging them necessarily. Yeah. But I kind of like the, yeah. um, I like ca- the thought of like people around the font getting wet. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a, it's like a, not a sea world level, but right. there's a. No, I agree. I agree, and I think our architecture is moving towards that. To yeah, bigger, there's been big improvements, bigger, bigger fonts, and more prominently placed. Yeah. I think this is, and here's a good point we can bring up, Mike. Um, if we're supposed to daily rem- remember our baptism, um, a lot of churches historically the font, well, not historically, but in America, it almost developed where the font was kind of hidden somewhere behind the it's American like, flag, it's like put into a closet. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say the trend is that they're coming out to maybe the middle of the chancel or even like the entry to the <laughs> church. Uh, what are your thoughts are that for, on that? I think our listeners can guess, but why why do you think that's a positive development? I'm guessing that's what you were getting at with architecture. Yeah, uh, it says some, architecture says something, right? I mean, you don't get to you don't get just to say, well, architecture doesn't mean anything. It's about the spirit. You don't get to go into everybody else's. Those same mind. people though love going to different sports stadiums. Yeah, yeah. You get you can't. And, and you can't go into everybody else's mind and say, um, that's not important to you anymore, right? It's not like you're just wearing um, the same clothes every time or you don't – or you just live in – you don't live in a pole barn, right? You don't live in, in just a, a whitewashed uh, dorm room your whole life. I mean, you're going to even decorate your dorm room. So don't tell me it doesn't matter. Um, and the placement of stuff, that makes it important. And, and, you know, to pick on those people a little bit – those are usually the same people who are going to have a conniption if there's not the American flag and if it's right. not the right pl- the right place, and it shows you kind of what you kind of value more than more than other things and where your priorities and, and are. And saying architecture doesn't matter is having a p- an opinion on it's saying it does matter because right. it clearly matters to you. Right. 
So it's yeah. and the same can be said about liturgical things, uh, vestments, all that kind of stuff. But I kind of we had moved it um, in my previous parish, and it's where it is at, at my current parish, my where I'm not the pastor, but I'm just a member. Um, at the foot of the steps on the way to the communion rail, right? You walk through your baptism, where you became part of the family to the family meal. I think. Yeah. To have people thinking about it is good, and when it's placed there, it's nice when. The pastor can lead the confession of sins. Mm-hmm. Now, you might disagree on this, Mike. I don't know what your rubrics would be, but but I kind of like it when the pastor leads the confession of sins from the font yeah. as a reminder that it's a reliving of our baptism. Yeah. So what we would do, um, <coughs> I put it at the back of the entrance of the church and actually took some pews out of the back. And so people would stand up and turn around to see this. And it You was, asked first, though? I did. Okay. Sort of. Um, and some people were upset because, well, now it's in my way. I'm like, good, now you have to remember Maybe there were some people whose pews were theirs that you took out, huh? We just pushed everybody up a couple. It was fine. Yeah, but you know how some people think a pew is theirs. Right. Um, but was here's some things that were cool about that. Is um, So when I'm doing the baptism, the kids in the congregation would sneak out into the aisle so they could uh-huh. see. you know, And you got the family gathered around there, and then you kind of have this parade. You're marching up with the, with the baby. Um, what was also cool about that is that the little children, our font was, it was, it was not majestic, but it was big enough that you were probably six or seven before you got taller than the font. And so you're walking by this thing and the tons, the font's as big as you uh-huh. and take the preschoolers and the Sunday kids and lift them up and look inside of that and say, this is where I baptized you. Right. And you walk past it every way. That was so very meaningful. I think it was, I think if you can do it in your church to have it at the entryway, you got to do it. I think it's, and, and to your point about confession, and absolution, I would not be opposed to you do confession, and absolution at the back there. And then you mark, then march up. In yeah. fact, that probably would be better because um, what it symbolizes is that confession and absolution is something separate. And then you're coming in, you're uh, in, entering I into like the that. presence of God. During, during the glory or something. Um, you know, either the, yeah, whatever it's going to be, that uh. if you have an intro, it, that kind of thing. And so it, it's, there's a lot to play with. And if you teach your people, well, some of them aren't going to care. I get it. They're, they're not attuned to that stuff. But if you get half your people to care, that's a huge victory to think about it that way. So um, what was also cool is we had a, we had a very sophisticated um, um, recording, video recording system. We had multiple cameras. You guys did have a nice one. Cameras. And we could, sometimes. we could, you, I had different settings. So you could, you know, zoom in here and go like, you could see the organist player, whatever. <laughs> and I had one so the the balconies has an overhang and underneath that overhang was the entrance where the baptism font was and i could make the i could make the camera go straight down onto the font and so i trained my people who were recording that was the what we only used this view once and it was for baptism and it was called the holy spirit view <laughs> and i told them don't press that until i'm about to say i baptize you in the name of so we would record these um, services and then give them to the families, of course, uh, uh, make a copy of it. And so right when I said, you know, I baptize you in the name, it would be like straight down nice. and you could just see my hand and the baby. Oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, like I have that. to admit that was pretty cool. Um, maybe finally, uh, just because it's something I usually bring up in class. And when I bring this up, I think some listeners, uh, might think, well, are you trying to make kids do something or force something on kids? And, and absolutely, I'm not. But um, I do usually discuss the, the sign of the cross here. And 
listeners from Lutheran backgrounds who maybe hear the sign of the cross and think primarily of, of someone putting the sign of the cross on themselves, which I think is a good practice, uh, you're at least somewhat okay with the sign of the cross because your pastor does it numerous mm-hmm. times in the service, right? He puts it on you. What um, The sign of the cross historically, and we've referenced it somewhat already, Mike, is a, a remembrance of baptism, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're remembering that that name has been put upon you. What is the particular value of the sign of the cross in connection with baptism, whether it be the pastor doing it in the service, which it often takes place in baptismal moments, or the uh, the layperson um, tracing it upon themselves? Yeah, so if... Even though you do the sign of the cross backwards. <laughs> so if, um, if baptism is... Into the fa- is an initiation into the family of God, an adoption of the family of God, as a, the right, the legal right as heir to the inheritance of heaven and the protection that comes before that, uh, the forgiveness of sins, and that comes through the cross. Then it makes sense that as a reminder of that, that who I am redeemed, I am marked as one redeemed by Christ crucified, I am crucified into Christ in baptism, that at times of trouble, when I hear about somebody who has died, when I, when I cry out, Lord, have mercy. I just had it, something I learned as a kid, and I think I learned it from my grandma on my dad's side. When I see an ambulance pass, yeah. you know, just as a, a moment of prayer for that person, yeah. I don't know them. but It makes sense then in times of trouble that I would remind myself of God's promise to me that I'm going to be protected, even if I die. So obviously you can see that this easily can turn into a superstitious kind of thing. But the abuse does not negate the use, right? So I should not say, well, I'm not allowed to do, uh, we shouldn't do that because there are some people that uh, abuse it or in the medieval church, they abuse that. I mean, these are the same, usually people that make people this argument. People abuse the Lord's Supper, we yeah. didn't get rid of it. The same people who make this argument, usually the same people who are going to say, Government can't tell me what to do any, anything, you know. Uh, just because somebody abused this alcohol doesn't mean we should have prohibition. Just because somebody, you know, is shooting up a, a Walmart doesn't mean you should take away my guns or whatever. And I'm not making a political statement or there, but they are misusing that argument for what they already don't want. So it, there's really no logical or theological reason not to do it. You're free to do it or you're not do it, Right. Uh, but that Adi offer, that freedom, you know, here, here's the argument. If the pastor starts to teach it, then people are going to feel like they have to do it, and that's a law. No. It, if you don't teach it, and if you don't give people the confidence to do it, you have made it a law that they can't do You've it. You've made the decision for them. You've made the decision for them. It's kind of like in the same way that you're like, um, I can't force my kids to go to school, so I'm not going to send them to school. Well, you've made the decision for them, right, by not by not doing that for them. So... We kind of get a, get over that American, maybe even Arminian personal decision kind of thing and say, um, you know, I can make a decision. This is true of all offer. I can make a decision for people one way or the other. Um, and so I'm careful not to say, to give the impression you have to do this, but I'm also careful not to give the impression that if this is not important and if you do do it, I'm going to look down upon you. Yeah. So. Um, and, and the thing with the sign of the cross is like one of those things, oh my gosh, everybody's going to freak out and they think they're going to, no, right. No, I've never had anybody say anything to no. me about it. And I've never been in a Lutheran parish where there wasn't Except s- for the sorcerer <laughs> who, if he's listening, knows who he is. Um, I've never been to a Lutheran parish. I'm sure there are, but I've never been to a Lutheran parish in my childhood where there wasn't some old world immigrant still hanging on. Uh. 
or there was a, an ex-Catholic, or there was a confessional Lutheran, or just somebody who was just flat out thought this was a good idea. There was always somebody who made the sign of the cross in Texas, in California, wherever. Um, we go to a predominantly, belong to a predominantly African-American congregation. There's one guy, big time sign of the cross maker. He grew up Baptist, just came to the Lutheran church because it was a, you know, it was in his neighborhood kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing. He doesn't sit there and, 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 you know, ponder about if this is superstitious or too Roman Catholic. It's just meaningful for him. And that's, that's true diversity and that's true uh, freedom when it comes to Adiaphra. Yep. And so I think that kind of hits on the key points of what I would n normally go through in class for this. Uh, hopefully found it helpful. Students, read the large catechism. Be submitting your notes for it. Um, hopefully you're finding these uh, uh, podcast sessions helpful. Mike, I thank you again for being willing to join me for these listeners. Um, I'm so grateful in the last couple days I have had um, a lot, I would say, of tweet. Uh, I don't know when, some, when someone messages you on Twitter, whatever you call that. Uh, or messages or emails uh, saying that people have appreciated kind of the glimpse into our courses and these sessions that they've listened to so far. Uh, I had someone who said it's perfect timing because they're doing work on their house and, and so they can have us on yeah. in the background. And I think that's where we lurk best is in the background, Mike. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed enough of myself that that's where I usually belong. Yeah, so we're, we approve there. of that and we, we encourage it. Um, but thank you for your understanding. Um, please do not unsubscribe because we're blowing up your uh, um, podcast feed. Just limit how many episodes you download. Uh, and, and we're hoping that these are things that will be useful for people now um, and that maybe down the road as well. So having them up there, if people have an interest in something, they'll be able to go back. And uh, there will be ways that you'll be able to search and find particular topics that do interest you. So with that... Uh, we give thanks for baptism. Those of you who are baptized, uh, you are children of God. Your baptism testifies to that. And for that reason, uh, go out and let the bird fly, friends. <laughs>